Well, good morning. Hey, if I've never met you, my name's Jeffrey. I am uh, one of the pastors on staff, and I'm excited to jump into this gifted series. We're talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, I'm going to just lead off with an apology. I was very excited first service, and I guess talked very loudly and almost completely lost my voice during first service. So if I've got to, like, take a time out and have a drink, that's why. Was, uh, yeah, I was like, at the end of service, it was a whisper, which if you know me, that is not a thing Jeffrey does. So uh, I'm excited about what God is doing in the midst of this gifted series. I think it's, it's gonna be a fun few weeks that we spend together. I was thinking this week of how long I've been around Beltway Park. So my family moved here when I was in high school. Um, back whenever, like when we first visited, it was just the chapel uh, and the student ministry met across the street at Wiley. And that was like when we came and visited the very first time. And uh, when we, by the time we moved here, the first part of the worship center was open and and that Sunday, the very first Sunday we were here, I met the girl who would end up being my wife. Her name's Sarah. She's incredible. Uh, I loved her immediately. Uh, I was a ghost to her. She didn't know I existed. Till I asked her out, and I did, and uh, she said no. And so I asked her out again. She said no. And uh, I tried a third time, because, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And she said no. And... Uh, and I'm stubborn. I mean, there's one thing. If you want to just, Turners are stubborn. We have got something in us that isn't. So you know what? I just kept asking until finally, I guess she was like, if I just don't ever say yes, he's going to keep annoying me all the time. So it worked. Uh, 16 years ago this month, I stood in this room next to a young Billy Crystal. And uh, you're going to get that joke in just a second. And these doors opened up because this, this was the center aisle of the worship center. And Pride and, this song from Pride and Prejudice was playing. This is a beautiful song. And right at the crescendo, the doors opened up, and then in walked my wife. And it was just is an incredible wedding. Here's what we look like. This is 16 years ago. Look, there we go. So there's obviously a former version of myself, Billy Crystal. I look at McQueen. <laughs> I've seen that. I've looked at that picture so much over the last few weeks, and I just look at it and laugh because, like, Who's this person? Who's that person? Oh, she looks the exact same. It is so irritating. She's had two children, and this is 16 years ago, and I look decades older. David's not here, so I'm not going to say anything about him. And then Sarah looks the same. It's irritating. So I also didn't show you the person who led us in worship at our wedding is Jeremy Curls. And I didn't show you a picture of Jeremy because he also looks the same. And that's very irritating for those of us that have aged like David and I have to look at Jeremy and Sarah and just whatever. So our wedding was incredible. I loved it. It was, it was just a, an amazing, amazing experience. It was not like weddings now. So ours was pretty simple. We had like Pastor David did the, the ceremony. Jeremy led us in worship. We had just, you know, normal. A friend of ours did the flowers. We had Aramark do the catering. They did a food for this. So that was our wedding. That is not weddings anymore. Weddings are a $60 billion industry. Okay, that number should shock you a little more. So some of you obviously paid for a wedding recently because anyone that's had to participate in a wedding goes, yeah, I totally get how we got to $60 billion. But those of us who like haven't had to think about paying for a wedding, $60 billion seems insane. Until you start to look at somebody, amen to that. I love that. I don't know who that was, but you're awesome. But you look at like what happens at a wedding and you can kind of start to see it add up. Weddings always include like, they always include really fancy dress. 
which for those of us at Beltway, I mean, look around. It takes a little bit for us to get fancy. I got a, I got, <laughs> I got a suit. Do you know that? I own one. You only know that if you've seen me at a wedding or a funeral, because that's the only times that suit has ever busted out. But like there's fancy dress at weddings. There's like crazy flowers. Used to, flowers at weddings were like bouquets. And then if you were like fancy and rich, you threw dead flowers down on the ground as you walked down. That was the rich people. Now flowers are hanging above your head. They're coming out of the walls. They're doing designs with flowers that just blow your mind. Weddings have your own personal paparazzi. And there's somebody follows you around all day, every day, videoing your every moment, taking pictures of every moment so you don't forget it. I mean, weddings have become a crazy deal. Cakes at weddings are wild. Which also, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I was thinking about weddings this week and it made me laugh. Have you ever thought how funny it is that at a wedding, we highlight two grown adults cutting one piece of cake? That we think these two people, they just committed their lives to one another for the rest of their life, but good job cutting the cake, you're a big boy. Like, it's ridiculous. Makes no sense at all. They got music, DJs, bands, weddings have become crazy, but also in almost every wedding, there's this moment that somebody, usually like a pastor like me, is gonna stand up and they're gonna go, all right, we're gonna read from 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, I didn't do a study this week because it felt like a waste of time. I, I would guess that like 97% of weddings include some portion of 1 Corinthians 13. It is the love chapter in the Bible. And we're gonna camp out here all morning. So if you will, find a Bible. Grab one. If you didn't bring one, there's one around you. They're underneath your chair, the chair in front of you. If you're online, right there. We're so glad that you're a part of our online family and you can click right there. There's a Bible. We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians 13. If you grab one of our Bibles, it is on page 959. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then we skip to the last verse. And now these three, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. You read that. Okay, you may now kiss the bride and go on into the wedding. Like we read 1 Corinthians 13 and that's generally what we think about. And I wanna point out a couple of things about 1 Corinthians 13. So first, the definition of love as set out in 1 Corinthians 13 is absolute insanity. If I give up my whole body but have not love, I gain nothing. If I give away everything that I have but I don't do it out of love, I am nothing. Love bears all things. It's able to endure everything. It never fails. That is a wild definition of love. And then we will take those verses and we'll put them on our walls as we like scream at our children. It's a crazy definition of love. But also when you look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which we're gonna be in this whole gifted series, 
13 feels like it's in the wrong place in the Bible. It feels like, like when, when Paul was writing it and it, he just got it out of order. It should have been like 13, 12, 14. It goes spiritual gifts in 12 in the body of Christ. And then it goes spiritual gifts in 14. And then sandwiched in the middle of these two chapters on spiritual gifts is these 13 verses talking about love. And we read 12 and then we read 13 and then we read 14. It's like it just feels like 12 should have come after 13 or something went wrong in putting together of the Bible because 13 makes no sense in the middle of these three chapters. Here's what I would say. I think maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing when he was guiding Paul and how Paul should be writing 1 Corinthians. And it is vitally important for us as we discuss spiritual gifts, it is vitally important for us to understand why this chapter was placed where it was in the book of 1 Corinthians. So here's why, here's why context often matters when we read scripture. So Paul is writing this book, he's writing it to the church of Corinth. And the church of Corinth has experienced a, an outbreak of spiritual gifts. They're seeing God do miraculous things, which sounds great, right? That's awesome. But they're beginning to see division happen in the church and people are mad and there's starting to be some issues that they are, they're experiencing because of these spiritual gifts. And you think, well, how can that happen? They're godly gifts. They're these things that God uniquely put inside of each of us. How are they having issues? Because of people. Because people got involved. Now, I don't know if you've like lived much. We're a little bit messed up. We're a little bit broken. And we can often do things that pull away from the big goal of things. We're messed up. And so that's what they're experiencing. They, they've experienced the gift of tongues. And so you have this group of people in the church of Corinth that, that they are speaking in tongues. They're seeing God do incredible things through it. And then you've got the other people who aren't speaking in tongues. And there's division between the non-speaking in tongues people and the speaking in tongues people. And basically the people that could speak in tongues, that were speaking in tongues, had the gift of tongues, looked down on everyone else. I'm holier than you. You can't do this thing that I can. Obviously, God loves me more. I matter more. What is happening in me is better. And it became me, 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 me. They had taken this gift that God had given them and they made it about themselves and about being seen. Does that sound remotely familiar? Like it is not outside of the realm of possibility for preachers to stand up and do everything that they do, everything that we do, with the goal of you seeing me. We got a whole genre of pastors. We call them celebrity pastors. And, then, and we look at, like, they, they're posting about their shoes they're wearing and all the people they know, and it becomes this me, 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 this gift that God uniquely put inside of them became about being seen. You can see it with the gift of prophecy. People take this gift of prophecy and they use this gift to manipulate everything around them so that people can know it's about me. People take the gift of giving, this, this gift that God says, hey, you have abundance that you can go and give, and they give in such a way that people know it was me that gave to this nonprofit, it was me that gave this gift to the church. And our tendency is often with our spiritual gifts to take things and make them about us. If I'm honest with you, I could tell you times in my own life that I have done that. That the gift of leadership on me, I've walked in it in such a way that I wanted everyone to know that I did this. 
or the gift of administration that's inside of me. And I pulled off this big, crazy event. And I want you to know I made this event happen. And it's our tendency, I think if you are honest with yourself, I'm not gonna go, all right, everybody raise your hand and say, if this is me, I love to be seen. But it's our tendency to use the things that God's done in us so that you can see me. And what's, what's happening in the church in Corinth and, and Paul is going, no, 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 That's, that is not what this is supposed to be about. You, you've missed the whole plot. If you're making it about you, you are missing the entire point about what this gift is supposed to be about. If your gifts are for you to make your name great, to be seen, you're as useless and purposeless as a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And that's a metaphor that's a little bit lost on us. So let's take it modern day. You ever been to a middle school band concert? You've heard the instrument that happened in a part that it was definitely not supposed to happen and maybe it actually was a symbol that was crashed in the middle of this low moment. I mean, we've heard the times that, that things happened in times that they were not supposed to happen. And what Paul is saying is if we use our gifts to be seen, if I use the gifts that God put in me, if you use the gifts that God put in you, if you use them to make them about you, then they're as useless and as purposeless as a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Spiritual gifts, love. Spiritual gifts. Paul says, hey, these gifts, they're all about love. He meant to put 13 where it was so that we would read 12 and talk about the body and spiritual gifts. And we read 14 and talk about how we can walk in spiritual gifts. And we know that the thing that's connecting 12 and 14 is these 13 verses on the importance of love. Love of the Father. Love for people. Love for his church. If we lose sight of love in the midst of walking out whatever gift God has put inside of you, if we lose sight of that vitally important thing, if it is not, if it is not the reason that we're walking out the gifts that have been put in us, then we're missing the point. Love has to be the lens that spiritual gifts are seen through. Lenses are an important part of my everyday life. These glasses are not fashion glasses. They are vitally necessary. When I go, I've gone to the optometrist since I was like 10. And when I go, and you know, you sit in there and right, you know, before they do the better one, better two, better one, better two, better one, better two. Anyone that's gone to the optometrist knows we just lie then, right? I don't have any idea what the difference is in one and two. They're the exact same to me. Just tell me what's wrong with my eyes and let's move on. But before that, he'll tell me to take off my glasses and they'll put a chart on the wall. He'll say, all right, read the lowest line that you can read. And then I'll sit there and he'll sit there and we'll just be awkward in a room, two grown men sitting there together. <laughs> Finally, he'll go, hey, no, read the lowest line you can read. And I'm like, homie, I can read nothing that you barely exist, forget this sign. Okay, I know because I've gone to the optometrist since I was 10, I know that the top is one singular letter. Maybe an A, maybe an E, maybe an F. I got no idea. Just lenses are vitally important for me to see. Without these glasses, I see nothing. You become a blob. I can't walk straight. 
I can't function at all if I don't see my entire world through these lenses. Everything is unclear and murky. And what Paul is saying is that love has to be the thing that we see everything through. That we have to see our entire world through the lens of love. And if we don't, then we're as useless as a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is supposed to be what determines and dictates our understanding of of our entire world, not even just our spiritual gifts. Yes, that is an aspect of it, but it means love should be the lens we see everything through. See, as soon as we finish these 13 verses on love, Paul says this in 14.1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He says, pursue love and desire the spiritual gifts. So this is where definitions are important. Pursue means to find or employ measures to obtain or accomplish. Desire means to long or hope for. So Paul says, hey, chase after love, seek out love, find opportunities for you to do whatever you can to obtain love. There is an action expectation with the word pursue and Paul says pursue love and desire the spiritual gifts. So here's the difference in pursue and desire. Next week, my family and I will go to the beach. If you've ever heard me preach in the summer, you know I hate the beach. I despise it. It's gross, it's hot, it's sweaty. People wear bathing suits they should never wear. And it just is, I don't like the beach at all. But I love my wife. And she loves the beach. I love my girls and they love the beach. So every year we go to the beach. So I know this is happening because we've done it every year for the last few years. So I know from last summer's beach trip to this summer's beach trip that I will be going to this place that I loathe, the beach, in June of this year. I thought, you know what? It's time for something different in my life. I want to go to the beach and I want to not be embarrassed about the way that I look. I'm going to pursue a beach body. Maybe get rid of the dad body a little bit. I'll pursue a beach body. So I did it. I I did what I could to find and employ measures to obtain or accomplish a beach body. I mean, I went to the gym a little bit, lifted some weights. I ate Chick-fil-A less. Sorry, God's chicken, but I don't like to eat your healthy stuff. I like your unhealthy stuff. We ate at home more. I did what I needed to do to seek out this beach body that I want instead of the dad body that I have. If you're not listening on the podcast, you're looking up here, you're like, I'm not sure you did that. (laughs) You are correct. I do long for it. Like I think about the beach and the the time that I'm gonna sit under the tent with a cold beverage in a hand and a book in the other hand. Like I know this is happening and I know that I don't want to have to have the dad t-shirt whenever I go get in the water the one time. (laughs) Those that laugh know what a dad t-shirt is. That's a shirt that we wear and we tell you it's because I don't, well, I don't want to get burned. I'm already dirty. I'm already wet. Now I'm hot. I just, we say all those things. It's just to cover up everything here. It's a, it's a nacho cover up. It's a, I had too much queso. I mean, that's what a dad t-shirt is. And I long to not have to wear that. But it stays at desire. 
I didn't do the work required to pursue, chase after the thing that I wanted. Instead, it was just, I longed for it, I hoped for it. There's an immense difference in pursuit and desire. And what Paul says is, pursue love, chase after love, and then desire the spiritual gifts. Chase after love, find it, seek out what it really is, and then receive the spiritual gifts that are bestowed on you by the Father. It doesn't matter what you do, you are not going to be able to pursue your way into any more spiritual gifts. God designed you purposefully and intentionally. Do we wrestle with it sometimes? Absolutely. Do I look at some people's gifts and go, I wish I had more of that, I wish that was my spiritual gift? Sure, but that's a fault in me as a human, not a fault in God's design. We have what God put in us And what we have to do is we have to earnestly desire for him to give us, to show us what gifts we have and to walk in them. They're called gifts for a reason because they are required to be given to us, not us accomplish them on our own. But chase after love. Pursue love. Do what you can to obtain love. Let love of the Father be the reason that you walk in your gift of giving. Let love of his people be the reason that you explore your gift of hospitality. Let love of his church be the reason that you serve. Let love be the reason. Let love be the lens. It's about love, not about us. That lens of love should be what is dictating and determining every aspect of our life. He spends 13 verses talking to us about love and then kicks off 14.1 by repeating the same thing. Pursue love. Yet, if you are like me, you're remembering the description of love that was laid out in 1 Corinthians 13. You're remembering that it says that love is patient. Its very nature is patient. It is always kind. That it never fails. That we can prophesy in such a way that we have all knowledge, but if it isn't determined by love, then what a waste. And we look at us and we go, that ain't me. I love my wife. We've been together for almost 20 years. We've been, married, we've been married almost 16. I love my daughters. I've got an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old. I love them with every bit of how I know to love. And yet, if my walls at my house could talk, you would know that my love is not always kind. That my love does fail. That while I think I, my love can endure many things, I'm not sure it can bear all things. My love is not always patient and we can look at our lives and we can see the description of 1 Corinthians 13 and how it tells us to love and then Paul says, pursue that kind of love and we go, well, I can never ever do that. I'm always gonna be found wanting. Here's the fun church answer today. You are 100% correct. You can never ever do it. Yeehaw, let's go have a great Sunday. You can try as hard as you want. Read as many books as you want. 
Listen to whatever podcast you want, go to whatever conference you want to go to. You can do everything you can, strive in every way possible. But on your own, you will never accomplish the love that is talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. For us to give the kind of love that we're called to give, we must first receive the love of Jesus. Us living lives of love is predicated on us knowing the love of Jesus first. Us pursuing love means us understanding that love already pursued us. We see that in 1 John 4. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So there's that command again. You go love. And if you don't, and if I don't, if we do not love, John says, you don't know God because God is love. It's his very nature. And anyone who's been born of God has the ability to love whoever loves. This person loves because they've been born of God. And so what it should do, it should make us ask the question, what does it then mean to be born of God? John goes on, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So manifest is not a word that we toss around a lot, but it's important in our understanding of this part of 1 John. So manifest basically just means, basically just means to be shown or is showing. So he says, in this the love of God was shown among us that God sent Jesus to this earth so that we might live through him. He says, hey, God's love was shown because Jesus came to this earth so that you and I have the opportunity for life. Which echoes what Jesus says in John 10. He came that we may have life and have it in abundance. John doubles down and he goes even deeper into the description. He says, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He says, hey, this is love, not that you did anything. We are feeble, broken humans, incapable of loving the way we're called to. This is love, not what you did, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And if we don't throw around the word manifest, propitiation is not even close to our vocabulary. But if we don't understand that, ver that word, we don't understand the magnitude of what it is saying when it says this is love. Propitiation means the satisfying or the payment of somebody's wrath. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for the wrath that my sin caused. And this is love. Jesus came and satisfied the payment for my sin. Took on the death that was mine and yours. And this is love. That God so irrationally loved you that he would send Jesus to be the payment for the wrath of all humanity. This is love. Jesus. And you think, I'm not Jesus. So how can this verse then end by saying, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You think, well, I can't love like that. Jesus, you just said that this is love, that, that Jesus came to this earth and he paid the payment for the wrath of the sins of humanity. How can I possibly love like that? Once again, you cannot 
on your own. But once we have received the love that was paid for with Jesus' death on the cross, once that has been done in us and poured into us, everything changes. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. When we are born of God, we've said yes to Jesus being the payment for our sins, then all of a sudden everything shifts because the love of God is then poured inside of me. Can you love like 1 Corinthians 13 says? No. Can the love of God that is inside of every person that has been born of God be walked out like 1 Corinthians says? Yes. On your own strength, no. But it's been poured into you through the Holy Spirit who's been given to every believer. The love of God is poured into us. Think about that. Think of the magnitude of that statement. That the love that was described in 1 Corinthians 13, this love that was shown in the person of Jesus, that love is poured into you through the Holy Spirit who's been given to those who've been born of God. And the type of love that we can walk in through the power of the Holy Spirit. It shapes us, it influences us, and directs all aspects of our lives, including our spiritual gifts. See, now, once that love has been poured into us and we begin to see what it looks like to walk in the love that has been poured into us, once that happens, then that love determines everything about everything in our world because we're seeing our entire world through the lens of the love of Jesus that has been poured into every single believer. So now we view our spiritual gifts different. They're not about me. They're not about my, my priorities. They're not about my motives. They're about the radical love of the Father that he would send Jesus. They're about the love that we have for the Father because of the grace that we had no business getting and the love we have for one another because if he paid that price for me, he paid it for them just as well. And that love begins to be the thing that we see everything through. So then we begin to walk in our spiritual gifts. And they're not, hey, look at me, I matter. It's how can God do what he's done in me to glorify his name? How can he let me walk into a dark place and breathe light, not for my name or my renown, but his name and renown are the desires of my heart? How can he use me in this thing that he's done in me to bring peace into chaos? How can he glorify him, not glorify Jeffrey? What could that possibly look like? And whenever that happens and our mindset shifts to that, everything is different. I'm gonna tell you about somebody that I watch do that all the time. Her name is Karen Graves. She, is, uh, she works in our, uh, she leads our benevolence ministry. If you don't know what that is, it's an incredible ministry in our church that basically if somebody has a need, that a water bill, some type of utility bill, a bill they can't pay, they can come up here and often we're able to pay those bills for them. It's an incredible ministry that we get to be a part of because of you. Because of the faithful ways that you give week in and week out, we have the opportunity almost daily to help meet people's needs. It's incredible ministry, so thank you. But Karen leads it. And if you could be a fly on the wall, it's the most beautiful thing to watch Karen be a part of those meetings. These people come in and they're scared and they're hurting and they're broken and Karen is kind and she loves on them well, helps meet their needs, but more than that, she values them, she sees them. She does an incredible job. But I don't even, that's secondary because what happens in those meetings 
is the gift that God has put inside of Karen of evangelism comes out constantly. Karen tells people about Jesus. It is almost weekly, sometimes daily, that we'll get an email going, hey, I had this appointment. It's Karen. And she's like, hey, I had this appointment and we were talking about this. And then all of a sudden they got saved. And then, and then their uncle got saved. And then we called somebody that knew they needed Jesus and we prayed for him over the phone. And we're like, Karen, goodness. My favorite is she, one time she emailed us and she was like, somebody came in because they needed their water turned back on and now they're getting baptized in the water of Jesus. And we just, it's great, Karen, you're amazing. And that's just Karen. She's let this love that has infected her and is inside of her poured into her through the Holy Spirit because she's been born of God. She allows that to be the lens that she sees, this gift that God has put in her, and it determines how she lives her day in, day out life. It's unbelievable. And listen, I get it. I know I sit where you sit often. And I know we tell stories like that and we're like, that's fine. That's, Karen's amazing. That's great for her. I'm me. You don't know me. You don't know my brokenness. You don't know my sin. You don't know my junk. Don't sit here and tell me that that can be what happens in my life. The beauty of the love of Jesus is that none of us are qualified to receive it. And yet he chose to give it anyway. That's the beauty of the love of Jesus. Are you qualified for that love? No. You know what? You're in great company. James and John, early disciples, they're fishermen. Matthew is a tax collector. You think people don't like tax collectors now. They despise tax collectors then. Paul, the artist formerly known as Saul, murdered Christians. And I promise you, if you sat down with Karen, you would say, Karen, tell me the ways that you're not qualified. She could tell you. And if you and I were to sit down and you had hours on end, I could give you list after list, reason after reason that I am not qualified. I didn't have to be. You don't have to be. The love of Jesus came for you regardless. And once we realize that that love is pursuing us, then and only then, can we truly receive the love of Jesus? Once it's not about me or my striving or my abilities and it's just about the love of the Father, then we can really begin to see our whole world through the lens of love. And it'll change the way you do everything because everything then becomes about Him. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna end a little different today. If you will, if you'll stand up. You can put your stuff down. We're not dismissed or anything. If you're part of our prayer team, if you'll go ahead and come down. We got two songs of worship left and we are going to worship. We're also going to do prayer up front. We're gonna spend the next 10 minutes. This worship team is gonna be here. I mean, this prayer team is gonna be here. They would love to pray for you about anything in your world. But specifically, as I was putting all this together this week, I felt like there are some people in here that you've never received the love of Jesus and you want it so desperately. Or maybe you're just curious. Come up here and get prayer. Here's the cool thing. 
these people are gifted up here, not because they're qualified, because the blood of Jesus. And I think there's some of, some of you that I think are wrestling with that. You can't get over that you don't feel like you deserve the love of Jesus. You don't, can't get over that you don't deserve spiritual gifts. You just can't get over that hump. And it feels like every time you get close to it, it just beats you down. Please come and get prayer. Some of you just wanna know what your spiritual gift is. Come and get prayer. This week, as I was praying for today and felt like the Lord wanted to renew joy, that maybe you feel like the joy in your life has been sucked out of you for who knows why, come and get prayer. Anything at all that you want prayer for, need prayer for, I encourage you to come and get prayer. This is different. We don't always do it like this. Somebody's got to be bold in the beginning and come up first. But I'll tell you this, the love of Jesus is big enough for anything you could toss his way. And he wants to meet you today. So let me pray for us. We're gonna jump into worship. Father, we thank you. We thank you for first John. We thank you for knowing this is how love was shown to us through the person of Jesus. Would you give us grace this morning to receive whatever your Holy Spirit has for us? If you wanna encourage us, you wanna challenge us, you wanna fill us up, whatever you have, God, we, we want what you have. So for the next few moments, would we worship you with all that we are? Would we experience you in power? In your name we pray, amen.